It's so good to see you tonight. It's always good seeing you. For centuries around the world, people thought that church thought, the world thought, that, that everything in the universe revolved around us on planet Earth. It was long, 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 long before our time, but that's what people thought. They thought everything revolved around us. And to human beings, that sounded good because we're so full of ourselves and we think that the whole world revolves around us and everything revolves around us. And, and um, you know, the truth is, it's not about me. You know, it's not about you. It's not about us. It's about him. But, but for centuries, that's what the world thought. And then this scientist by the name of Copernicus, Copernicus comes around. I think the year was like 1543 and Copernicus says, no, the universe does not revolve around the earth. Um, the, the sun, the planets, the, the earth revolves around the sun and the Catholic church says, that is blasphemous, Copernicus. We will recant what you said or we'll persecute you. That's what the Catholic church did. They, they persecuted what they didn't like. Um, there was this... Um, Giordano Bruno, he was an Italian scientist, and, and the church said, what you say is heresy, and they, they burned that poor guy at the stake. Took a hundred years before they started realizing those guys were right. The earth is not the center of the universe. This guy by the name of Galileo, you've heard of him, he had this telescope, and he looked up into the night sky, and he saw these innumerable stars painted on this black velvet of a midnight sky. And, and he saw uh, all of these planets. And, and, and he said, our moon is not smooth like we thought it was. It, it has, has craters in it. And, and, and Saturn has moons on it. And Copernicus, he too said, I mean, I mean Galileo, Galileo said what Copernicus said. It's, we're not the center. Catholic Church didn't like that either. They persecuted Galileo. Recant, recant, recant. But now we know those guys were right. The, we're not the sinner. We're not the sinner. It's interesting to me when, um, when you look at what God made, you know, you see the earth, you see the other planets in our solar system, and it's revolving around the sun. It is interesting to me how God, when he created all that he created, a thousand things that he tries to teach us about himself, about us, about one another, about his church. When you look at all that God created all around the universe and all around the worlds, you know, you look at Psalm 19, for instance, and it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. He thought about that. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork, what he did. He said, he said, I did it. Scientists today say he didn't do it. There's not even a him. He doesn't exist. God says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They say, there's no God. There's no God. God said, look up and see. See what I did. And then... And see what I'm doing. He's not just what he did. He's what he's doing. And, and so God's still creating. He's still doing all kinds of things. But what God has created declares all sorts of truths about who he is. It's fascinating to me. I look up into the universe and, and there's all these things that God just tells you. Like for instance, God says, okay, just like the earth revolves around the sun, S-U-N. Mike, your life is to revolve around my son, S-O-N. 
I'm not any different than you are. There's a thousand things out there that God's always teaching us through his creation. He does this over and over and over in in the Bible. There's millions of lessons and clues that our Lord has left us in his creative order. For instance, here's here's a verse out of Proverbs chapter 6. Tell me what God is trying to tell us. Now the old language said it this way. We don't use that word as much anymore, but the old language says... Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Sluggard. What's God trying to tell us? What's God trying to tell us when he says, Go to the ant, sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. In Proverbs 6, when you read that whole passage, because you always need the context to understand the text. I put it up in a different translation. Let me read let me read the whole verse, the whole section of verses. Lazy people should learn a lesson from the way ants live. They have no leader, chief, ruler, but they store up their food during the summer, getting ready for the winter. How long is the lazy man going to lie around? When is he ever going to get up? I'll just take a short nap, he says. I'll fold my hands and rest a while. But while he sleeps, poverty will attack him like an armed robber. God's trying to tell us something, isn't he? He he does that all throughout his creation. All throughout his creation, he's teaching these truths. And he does it from things that are so simple for us to understand. Consider the ant. Consider the heavens. Consider the stars. Which is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at his creation. And we're going to learn from him because, in in particular, he's got some things he's going to teach us in the apiary, in, in the bee yard. Tonight, we're going to the bee yard. That's what all of this over here is about. There's all kinds of helpful and fun things that you learn about God, that you learn about yourself, that you learn about the church, that you learn about the kingdom, that you learn about church health just by spending a little time in the bee yard. I looked, and there's about 75 things, and I thought, Mike, there's no way. You mean... You, you can't do 75, so, so you're going to like this. You're going to like this. I boiled it down to six. <laughs> and all God's people said. Amen. Yeah, now now there's, 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 there's 69 more, but I just chose these six. It's not that these six are the most important. It's just these are the ones that, that I chose. These half a dozen things that God's, God's taught me in the bee yard. Mike, do you and Cheryl have a bee yard? We do. You know, they call it an apiary, but it's, it's just a bee yard. So tonight, we're going to humble ourselves, and we're going to learn some big lessons from some little bees. Humbling yourselves, by the way, is a, is a great thing to always do. You probably practice this. I, I, I try to do this most mornings. People say, well, Mike, what do you eat for breakfast? I try to always eat these two things for breakfast. If I eat nothing else, I eat these two things. A slice of humble pie and usually some crow. Being from the South, I like fried crow. Some of us, we stick our feet in our mouths all the time. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. And we, here in the South, we say, man, I am eating crow. I'm just confessing to you, I eat a lot of it, so I go ahead and start at breakfast, but I like mine fried. You might like yours baked, but, but humble pie and crow will make your day just go a whole lot better. And I say that because you say, well, I don't really want to learn anything from some simple little bees. I'm just, I'm asking you true or false. Are bees in the Bible? They are in there. 
God could have chosen to leave them out, but he didn't. He put them in there. And anything God puts in there, anything God puts in here, he wants us to pay attention. I mean, there's only 1,189 chapters. Every one of those chapters, whatever's in them, God wants us to know what God wants us to know that. And so when you look at the beehives tonight, just know that that, that represents the church, any church. And the bees in the hive, well, that represents you and me. And some of you, you're already worried. You're going, Mike, there's, there's not bees in that hive here. Are there really bees in those hives? I'm not telling you. <laughs> you will find out. But listen, you never swat at them. Don't swat at them. You just let them do their thing. You can stand right in the middle of them and fly all around you. But if you ever swat at them, they will light you up. It's like they got this little trumpet. And when you do this, they see that as a sign of aggression toward them. And I don't know how they do it, but what they do is they blow their little trumpet and here come the bees. True story. It's not just honeybees. He was deer hunting one morning. He had a 243. He didn't take any deer. He wanted to shoot something. The hornet's nest was 125 yards off. He thought, you know, I'm 125 yards away. I'm right here behind this wagon. I've got to shoot something. You guys, you know how it is. You got you to shoot something. So he put his crosshairs on the hornet's nest and he carefully squeezed the trigger and the rifle cracked. And like a shot, almost as fast as that bullet traveled and exploded that hornet's nest, those hornets followed that sound all the way back to him. He never forgot that day. You just, you know, when it comes to bees, you just, you just be gentle to them and they'll be gentle to you. Hornets aren't so much, but we're not talking about hornets. We're talking about bees. Well, Mike, you brought it up. Just giving you the example. Don't, 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 don't swat at them. Don't shoot them. Just be gentle and, 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 and they're gentle. Tonight, we invite you to join us in the bee yard. We invite you to join us at the beehive and, and we're going to ask God to speak through us and speak to us about himself, about his church, about us, about his kingdom, and what he wants us to do and what he wants us to know from the bee yard. Pray with me if you would. Father, I pray that you would help us to learn from your creation, that you would help us to see how awesome it is that you have built in everything that you have created. You are an awesome God, and everything that you do is that, and everything that you create has your fingerprints all over it, and there's a thousand lessons you're trying to say to us through simple things, even as simple as a hive. So teach us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you keep bees. Um, We've been keeping bees a long time. Last spring, we, we started a couple of hives from packages. You know, you, you order the packages, they come in the mail, and there's, there's, this little, there's this little box, and you'll see it right there, it's got the little can on top of it, there's a couple of packaged bees, three pounds, it's about 10,000 bees per package, and you open up that package, and you pour them in that little white box, which is called a beehive, and, 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 and they start to go. And it is amazing, you just watch to see what they do. And, and throughout the summer, I was watching them grow and watching them develop. And they were just so fascinating. And then, and then the fall came and the winter came. And, and in the winter, they just kind of go. And it's, it's not really hibernation, but that's kind of the way we say it. But then about February, they started, they started to get a little excited. And they just started working a little bit harder. And I didn't realize what was happening in the hive. 
Then the next thing I knew, I, I went out there and, and this little three pound package in less than a year, it went from what you were looking at to, to this. I mean, that little beehive went to this. And you see, they're all on the front. It means, oh no, we got a lot of bees and we got to do something with all these bees. We started out with just 10,000. That sounds like a lot, but it's really, a not, it's really not. All of a sudden, we had this hive that was absolutely packed full of bees and, and we had to do something with them. And I opened, I opened up that hive and I couldn't believe what I saw. What started out as 10,000 bees came to be about 100,000 bees. I, I didn't count every one, but what you're looking at there is one, two, three, four, five, five or six frames of bees. Guys, does that look like a lot of bees to you? I mean, it was, it was huge. It was huge. So I want you to join me in the bee yard, and we're going to let God teach us some things. Number one on your list, when you open up that hive, there's just one queen. Say, one queen. Just say that out loud. There's just one queen. She is the queen bee. She is the one in charge. She's the woman, one that's, that's determining the future and the health of that hive. She's the one that keeps it all going in a good direction. When you look down in the hive and you find her among those 80,000 bees, it's just exciting. And, and she's the one that's moving everything in the direction. If the hive is not going in the right direction, she knows it and the rest of the bees know it. But in that whole hive, you might have a hive of 50,000, 80,000, 100,000, 150,000 bees. But in that hive, there's just... How many queens? There's just one queen. And I look down in the hive, and then I hear my father whisper in my ear. He says, Mike, just like in that hive, there's one queen. In your life, there's just one king. Just like in a healthy hive, there's just one king. I mean, one queen. In a healthy church, there's just one king. And that king is large and in charge. Matter of fact, here's what Colossians says in, in chapter 1. He's the, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Just like in the hive, there is one king. I mean, one queen. In our lives, there is one king. There is one head. And his name is Jesus. And he is in charge. And he is the one who is leading this thing. And he's the one who's leading you. And he's the one who's leading me. And he's before us, behind us, beside us, in us, above us, below us. He's in our future. He's in our past. He's in our present. He says, I am with you always. And when he means always, he means everywhere. He's the head of the body. He's the head of your life. He's the, he's the head of my life. There's only one head of the church. The bride, the body of Christ. There's only one head. All right, true or false? Pastor Scott's the head of the church. That's, that's correct, false. The elders, the deacons are the head of this church. 
fault. You're the head of the church. It's just somebody heard somebody. They didn't say no. They said no. I'm the head of the church. No, there's, there's, there's not a one of there's only one head of the church. Matter of fact, almost every one of us in this room, my guess is we have experienced being a part of a congregation at some time in our past when somebody other than God tried to be in charge. And you had a body with two heads or three heads or four heads. Guys, was that a mess or was that a mess? I'm, I'm, it, it's, it's horrible. It's, 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 like a, it's, like a, it's like a movie, like a monster. It's, it's, it's destructive and it's, it's terrible. There's only one head of the body and he is Christ. And we don't have to worry. But he, everything he does is beautiful and everything he does is right. And everywhere he directs, every place he points is exactly where we're supposed to be. There is only one head. There's only one person in charge and it's him. And when I'm working in the beehive, God reminds me, hey, Mike, who's in charge? You are my king, and you are my king. There, there, there's only one. If you ask any beekeeper what's the number one job of the queen, you know, they will tell you it is her job to keep the hive healthy and to multiply that thing in the way that it's supposed to go. And if you, you can start with the tiniest hive and in no time, all of a sudden, she's strengthened that thing and she's multiplied that thing. And all of a sudden, all, there, there's, all these, there's just all these bees. It's, it's quite fascinating the way she does what she does. I know it kind of wears you out thinking it, but that, that queen, she's in that hive and Say it this way. She'll lay about 1,500 to 2,000 eggs a day. I noticed the ladies moaned over that more than the men did. <laughs> ladies, repeat after me. Men, what do you know? 1,500 to 2,000 eggs a day. Every one of those eggs is a bee. And in 21 days, that little egg has developed in, and emerged as an adult bee and and you pull out a frame of bees. I did. I pulled out a frame of bees and I smiled because I saw what the queen was doing. I just took this shot. Um, that, that was one of the frames. All that creamy, tannish color stuff that you see on all of those little cells, honeycomb cells, that's capped honeycomb. Underneath every one of those cells, there is a bee that's, that's developing. She's gone across that hive and she has laid all those eggs and, and, and then the bees have come and they've put a bunch of food in those cells and those honeycomb cells and then they've capped it over. And inside of that cell, that little baby bee is growing, grow, exponentially growing, 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 growing. If you grew how much a bee grew, you don't want to think about it. 21 days, that, that, that bee hatches out. But I did a close-up shot because it's hard to see. Um, this is the same slide. I just pulled it in a little bit. You'll see that some of those cells are uncapped. And inside of those cells, you'll see this, this little larva, kind of a whitish-looking, wormy. 
there's a blue arrow that's pointing at it. You'll, you'll see there's a little baby bee, and, and it hasn't been capped. Do you see that? She's been laying. Bip, there's a bee. Bip, there's a bee. Bip, there's a bee. She's always multiplying. A healthy hive is always multiplying. A healthy hive is always reproducing. They never want to stay like they are. They never want to just maintain what they've got. The hive represents a what? A church. I've worked with a lot of church leaders, but it is a, it's a sad thing when a church decides we just want to maintain. We just want to stay right here where we are. We, we don't really want to do anything else besides what we've done. We want to stand on the promises and we don't want to move an inch. We just want to stay exactly where we are. And Hive won't let you do that. Hive's always multiplied. Which, by the way, is number two. You know, number one is there's only one queen. Number two, a strong, healthy hive always multiplies, always reproduces. It's always growing. In other words, they're always making more just like them. And wow, do those hives grow. They grow and develop. It's, it's really hard to keep up with them. You know, one of those first slides you saw with those packaged bees, there was just one box, one super, one box. I had a feeder on top of it, but there was just one box. And, and they exploded and they went from one box to three boxes. And then they were sitting all outside the hive. Well, not all of them, but a bunch of them were sitting outside the hive. You saw that. And I had to do something. So I, I started making more space for them. And, and I created new hives from those hives. And in God's arithmetic, it's always more about multiplica- multiplication than it is addition. It's a good thing when God adds people to the church. It's a better thing when those of us in the church say, God, would you take my life and would you multiply it in the lives of others? And because of my life and my faith and my witness and my walk with you, would you help me to reach people for you and then disciple them and grow them so that I can help them grow in their faith and then they can turn around and they can do that in the life of somebody else. It's called, called making disciples. But in the church, what God's always doing is, is trying to get us to multiply, to, to replicate what we are and who we are in the lives of, of other people. It's more in the church about making disciples than it is about making converts. As a matter of fact, you'll never find one time in here God saying, well, all I want you to do, church, is make converts. Just make converts. He never (laughs) says that one time. He's all about people getting saved, but he don't want them just to stop at that point of getting saved. In the Bible, there is this big deal that we don't talk about as much because it's a big, long word And we don't like big, long words in the Bible, but the Bible word for it is sanctification. It means when I get saved, God sets me apart. He sanctifies me, and he is in the process of growing me in my faith and developing me in my faith so that I, as Galatians says, become conformed into the image of Christ. And he wants to take my life, and through my life, he wants to multiply himself through me in the lives of other people. As Peter said, grow, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
It is never just about people getting saved. It is about them growing and developing and being discipled and being able to reproduce their lives and the lives of other people. It's about growing up in our faith. The gospel is not just about the moment I get saved. The gospel is about this entire journey where I walk with Jesus for the rest of my life. And, and, and why you walk with Jesus for the rest of, of your life. In God's arithmetic, he says, I want you to multiply. Not just add, I, I want you to multiply. Marching orders. Take your Bibles. Matthew, very last chapter. Matthew chapter 28. You know it. It's probably one of the most popular verses outside of John 3.16. Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Just two verses. Verses 19 and 20. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And he says, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, even to the end of time, even to the end of your life, even to the end of forever. I am always with you. But he says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. I want you to make disciples of everybody. Brings a smile to the face of God when his people are intentionally building, intentionally discipling, intentionally pouring their lives into the lives of other people. Strong, healthy churches are always about reaching and raising and releasing undeniable followers of Jesus Christ. That sounds like a mission statement, doesn't it? Matter of fact, on your, on your sheet, you've got those three words, reaching, raising, releasing. I want you to take 45 seconds. I want you to write down beside each one of those three words what you think, we just went to the classroom, what you think those three words mean in relation to the church as understood in the scriptures. That we are to be about reaching, we are to be about raising, we are to be about releasing. And if you need some help, you can lean over to the person beside of you and you can talk about it for the next 45 seconds. And I know, guys, what some of you are going to do, I'm going to reach over here and I'm going to talk. And Mike's going to think that I'm talking about reaching, raising, and releasing. But I'm really asking, do you want to go get some ice cream after this? <laughs> Stay on target. Stay on target. I'll let you out early enough that you can get ice cream. And all God's people said. Yeah. Just, all right, you got 35 seconds left. What do you think those three words mean? Reaching, raising, and releasing. What do you think those three words are referring to? Jesus says, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to obey all the things that I've commanded you, that I've taught you, that I've told you. And, and Jesus says, I'm with you doing this. You're not doing this by yourself. What do you think it means? Reaching, what do you think that is? Witnessing, it's, it's evangelism. It's the gospel of, of introducing another person, telling the story of Christ. You, you let them tell their story a little bit. You might tell a little bit about your story, but the main thing is about telling them about his story. And, it, and it's evangelism, and it's, it's sharing your faith. And, and that's, that's part of what he calls us to do, is to reach. But even when we reach, that's not all that he calls us to do. Go, therefore, and, and make disciples. What do you think raise? What, what do you think that's referring to? To, to, raise, to reach, to, to raise. What are you talking about? Raise, raising people from the dead. No, that's not, that's not it. 
I, I think raise has something to do with raise people up in their faith, grow them and develop them in their faith, disciple them in their faith, grow them and develop them in such a way so that you can release them. Not, not release them, kick them out of the church. I mean release them so that they can in turn replicate what you have done and brought about in their lives. I know God's the one that does it. God's the one that brings it about. But they need somebody alongside of them with skin on, and that's you and that's me. And so they are, they are being released. I've got a friend, Rick, a friend of mine, and he told me a while back, he said, he said, Mike, I've gotten to the place in my life that... You know, I disciple people, but I tell them up front. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he said, I tell them up front, if you are not going to go and do in the lives of other people what I'm doing in your life, I'm not wasting my time on you. Whoa. But I get his point. He, he knows that our task is, and, and not too long ago, Rick almost died of cancer, and he started counting his days, and he's going, I, 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 have, I have got to pour my life into people. I have got to replicate Jesus in the, life, in the lives of people. It's about evangelism. It's about discipleship. It's about multiplication, reproducing your life, your, your life in others. It's, it's a beautiful thing when, when in a hive that thing starts growing and all of a sudden you know, you're reaching someone the gospel. That's evangelism. You're discipling. You're developing. You're equipping them in their faith so that they can reproduce that in the lives of others. And it always happens. It happens in the hive, and, and, and it happens in the church. And when I say split, I'm not talking about a church split. When the Bible's talking about reproducing and multiplying, it's not talking about a church split. What it's talking about is we grow and develop, and all of a sudden we're having to create more space, and all of a sudden we're having to create room, and all of a sudden we're finding new ways to develop people and to grow people because you can't leave, you can't leave it the same size that it is. Unless you just don't reach anybody and don't disciple anybody and don't try to replicate and you just want to keep it like it is and just wave the red flag until Jesus comes. And I don't want to meet him like that. I don't want him to go, Mike, what in the world were you not doing? I, I didn't die. I didn't send my son down across so you could live like that. What, 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 what are you doing? The, the most effective model of discipleship that you find in the Bible, it happens in small groups. Doesn't matter what you call them, life groups, Sunday school groups, small groups, doesn't matter what you call them, what, what matters is what, what we do with them. It might be a small group of one-on-one, -on -one. it might be you and one other person, it might be you and two, it might be you and ten, but, but it's a small group of people, it's not the bigger congregation, it's, it's a smaller group of people. Jesus did that, he, he chose twelve and he discipled them, answer me this, how'd that turn out? pretty good I know not all of them stayed with them one went out and hanged himself one was never really of them but he he tried for three and a half years he poured his life into Judas but Judas walked the other way but the 11 that were left Jesus chose that model in a small group of guys he poured himself into them a couple of weeks ago Cheryl and I were on vacation we were in Pennsylvania and we you know we started out in Independence Hall and and then went and visited some family around Lancaster and then we went about an hour from Pittsburgh and we spent a couple of days with some friends Brian and Kelly and uh long story short you know a few years ago Cheryl poured her life into into Kelly she helped reach people she helped reach Kelly for Christ and then she discipled Kelly 
And we, we would watch Kelly. We would watch her grow. And we'd listen to her pray. And we'd watch her develop and cry and laugh. And, and fell in love with this book. Fell in love with this book. God lit a fire in her. And it's, it's, Cheryl, it's, it's fun when they get on, the, they get on the, the phone and they're talking about what God is doing and they, they, they're still close and we still talk to them and we still get together with them. Kelly was one of those people that Cheryl poured her life into and she, she discipled. And, and now Kelly, she's got her own blog. You know, she's out there in the world trying to influence a lot of other people. Um, let me say it this way. I, I want you to give thoughtful consideration of this statement. It is impossible in the New Testament church to make disciples using only the Sunday morning and the Wednesday night service. It is impossible in the biblical healthy New Testament church for us to make disciples using only the big church, the worship center. The sanctuary, the big house, whatever you want to call it. On your handout, would you do this? It doesn't matter where you do it on your hand. Would you draw a line, and beside that line, would you draw a circle? Just draw a straight line, and then draw a circle. Straight line, and then a circle. Because for clarification, both the line and the circle, both of them are biblical. Both of them are mandated by God. It's not either or. It's both and. And the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is understood in the scriptures. You have to have the line, and you have to have the circle. Here in the American church, we mainly focus on the line to our detriment and to the detriment of the kingdom of God. So tonight we address it. You got to have the line and the circle. The line is what you are experiencing tonight. The line is what we experience in here on Sunday mornings. We come together. It's basically worshiping the word. Both of those are beautiful and both of those are crucial. We come together. We face forward. We look at the back of someone's head. We look this way, but we're in rows. We're in lines. And Hebrews says, don't neglect that. That's a good thing. When the congregation comes together and worships and celebrates and, and grows, and it's, it's a great thing that we do in here. But in the Bible, there's not just a line. And in the American church, we have focused primarily on the line. But there's also a circle. What the circle in the Bible represents, it's another crucial part of the faith. There's this individual in a circle. They're sitting across from another individual. It's a small group, and they are opening a book, and they're doing life together. They're, they're in community together. They're growing in relationship together. It's iron sharpening iron. It might be one-on-one. -on -one. It might be one-on-two. -on it might be one-on-three. It might be one-on-eight, but it's, it's, it's a small group of people. Discipleship is taking faith, taking place. Faith is growing in that kind of environment, and there is no substitute for it. And primarily, we have neglected that in the church in America, and it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. If you put on your church consultant hat, if you talk to church leaders across America, they would tell you, hands down, the healthiest thing, the best thing that churches can do to grow stronger, to grow, to grow better, to grow more effective is for God's people not just to get in a line, but to get in a circle. And a lot of us aren't in a circle. We just come get in a line. 
And if all you do is stay in the line, and you miss what can happen in the circle, it is priceless what you have missed, and it is priceless what others will miss by you not being in the circle, and more importantly, it's detrimental to the body, and it affects all of eternity. What can happen in the circle in discipleship and church growth? So the question is, is what takes place in this room all that God calls us to? Absolutely not. Question two, can we do all that needs to be done in church in this room alone? Not on your life. Not on your life. If um, this, this, not in a thousand years would this ever happen, but... But imagine, imagine if, uh, we'll take Pastor Scott. Looking forward to him getting back from vacation. But imagine, Pastor Scott. So Pastor Scott, that man prays and prepares. I mean, he, he is in our lives. It's a beautiful thing that God is doing through him. But he stands here behind the pulpit. He stands here behind the Word of God. And he delivers the counsel and the teaching of the Word of God. And, and, and he does it beautifully. So on Sunday mornings, for instance, or on Wednesday nights when he stands here, if, if, if he were to say to us, he'd never do this in a thousand years, if he were to say to us, church, I'm going to give you the best that I've got, I'm going to pray, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to give you the best that I've got, but you, you're only going to get it for about two and a half hours on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night. That's all I'm giving you. My question to you, he would never do that. My question to you, could Pastor Scott do all that he needs to do as a pastor of Lamb's Chapel in two and a half hours of preaching on Sunday and Wednesday? Not, not in a thousand years could he do that. You can't do all that you need to do in two and a half hours on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night. There's no ministry that you, you could ever accomplish in just a little bit of time together in a group like this. There's all this other stuff that needs to take place throughout the week and throughout in the lives of other people. I've never known a pastor, and I've known hundreds. I've never known a pastor that he, that he would say, well, all I'm doing is I'm giving my people an hour or two a week. If I ever met anybody like that, I'd just shoot him. I mean, just, Mike, you're a violent man. No, I'm just serious about... Not with a gun shooting, but I'm, I'm just trying to illustrate the fact that we cannot do all that God calls us to do just in here on Sundays and on Wednesdays. It's not just about, it's not just about the line. It's also about the circle. It's about multiplying our lives. I look in the hive, number three. I look down in the hive and, and I'm looking at my bees. I'm looking at other people's bees and and here's one of the things that I see. They work really hard together to produce what no one else can produce. Now, it's important, write that word in together. They, they work really hard together to produce what no one else can produce. All right, church, help me with this. Name one company anywhere in the world that makes honey. Name them. Well, why aren't you giving me a name? Because there's not a name that exists. There's not a company in this world that can make honey. Now, they can make high fructose corn syrup. But they can't make honey. 
Never can. Only, only bees can make honey. Only bees can make honey. This, uh, this came out of our apiary. Our apiary is the Great Road Apiary. McCray Road, the road that we live on years, years, years ago. It was called the Great Road. It was the road in northern Alamance County that goes, that went to Hillsborough, that historic city. So it wasn't called McCray Road back then. It was called the Great Road Apiary. So that's, I mean, the Great Road. So our apiary is the Great Road Apiary. So this honey came out of the Great Road Apiary just the other day. One of you, when you came in tonight, the bottom back side of your bulletin, you'll see a star. And below that star, there is an MGS, which happens to be my initials. If you have got that bulletin and that star at the end of the service, this is yours to take home. Yeah, don't you cheat. Don't you cheat. I know what my... So, so if 10 of you come up with that... I know what my, my nasty writing looks like. I'll know you cheated and I'll hit you in the mouth. Don't you do that. <laughs> but anyway, if, if, you, if you, you, you can have that. You just come forward and show us. Only bees can make that. They work hard to produce what, what no one else can produce. And it, it's lasting. You, you make a loaf of bread, it's stale in two weeks. Bees make honey. 3,000 years later, it's still good. We know that because we've been in the Pharaoh's tombs and the great pyramids of old. and We've uncovered honey that was over 3,000 years old. And it was still no bacteria that can grow in it. Honey can last thousands of years. Our donut's stale in a day. <laughs> it's amazing what they do, but they work so hard to do it. And, and when they're doing all of that that they do... They're also doing all these other things in nature. While they're in the process of producing honey, they're also pollinating all this stuff all throughout nature. 80%, 80% of all the flowering plants out there, honeybees pollinate. Over 130 different types of fruits and vegetables wouldn't grow if honeybees didn't pollinate them. If it wasn't for those bees, the florists would have to shutter their doors you try to find some produce at Food Line if honeybees didn't do that. You, you go to the farmer's market, there wouldn't be one. Produce stands wouldn't exist. Those autumn apples you look forward to buying every fall wouldn't happen. They work really, really hard to produce what no one else can produce. They make that beautiful little honey that you end up. And what's crazy is they work so hard at it. And, and they just, did you know this? One bee in its entire lifetime produces about one-twelfth of one teaspoon of honey. Which means it, it takes 1,152 bees just to make one pint, one pint of honey. But they work together. They work together. And what they do beautifully, the family of God is like that. God, God gets inside of us and he works through us and he does through us in this world what nobody else in the world could do. There is nothing like the church. There is nothing out there like you. All the parachurch organizations, all the mission organizations around the world, they count on you so that they can do what they do. When they need help, who do they call? They call us. 
When they need prayer, who do they call? They call the people of God. When they need dollars, who do they ask? They ask us for the dollar. There's not an organization out there anywhere in the world. If they say, if you would ask them what is the most important thing on the planet, they'd say it is the church of the living God. It's all about you. Ephesians 3.10 says that so much of what God makes known, he makes known through his church. And at the end of that great chapter, here's what he says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. They work so hard to do what nobody else can do. Fourth thing about them, they only have a little bit of time to accomplish it. Bees only have a little time to accomplish a lot. I kind of feel bad for the little guys and ladies. The lifespan of a bee is so very short. That queen pops out the egg 21 days. Later, that egg is an adult bee. That adult bee emerges, gets its assignment, which is very cool. The bees are so organized. Well, you're going to be a worker bee. Well, you're going to be a nurse bee. Well, you're going to be a foraging bee. Well, you know, they give all their assignments, and then the bees jump on their assignments. It's, it's awful incredible. And six to eight weeks later, they're having a funeral for them. Oh, I know, it's, it's so pitiful. You know, in, in the hive, you know, they got these little tombstones. They put their little names on it. And, you know, they have the little service because, you know, about average 51 days. For some bees, they die in 30. For some, they die in 60. But it's, it's, it's average 51 days later. The bee dies. It dies. It does all this incredible work. It's got this little short time to do it. You know what we know? You and I don't have a lot of time to do what God's called us to do on this earth, and then it's up. I mean, it's people act like there's so much time. Really? You know what this says. Here today, gone tomorrow. Our life is like a vapor. It's gone. It's gone. I was young, and now I'm not so young anymore. This says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. I mean, it's why it's so important that that we live for the king, that we lay up our treasures there, that, that we spend so much of our time in this life Preparing ourselves and preparing others for the next one because the next one is out of this world and it's it's forever and it's grand and it's wonderful and we don't have time to talk about it but I'm looking at these bees and they accomplish so much in a in a little bit of time but what's so sad is while they're doing all of that they've got this ongoing war in the hive that not within themselves bees don't fight among themselves. They will fight on the outside what they perceive to be a threat to the body, to the hive, to the colony. But they don't fight among themselves. You picking up what I'm putting down? That's not one of the points, but it's a point. And, and, and so in the colony, they've always got things that are fighting against them. They don't fight against themselves, but they're all... There's this ongoing war. These these little guys are fighting disease and infection and enemies and poisons and pollutants, which is number five on your sheet. Bees are constantly fighting against that which can destroy them. They're fighting against that which can destroy them. 
um, a few days ago, I went out and uh, I put some medicine on the bees. Had to treat all my, high, all my hives against mites. When I say the word mites, you say, oh no. I had to, I had to treat all my hives against mites. Oh, no. That was pretty good. But you, got, you got to say it like you mean it because in the hives, what mites do is so destructive. There are these tiny little hellish creatures that you, it's hard for you to even see them. There's quintillions of them out there, all, all out there in the woods and in the fields and in the forest and on the plants. Of, of, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And the bees just going about doing what they do. And the little mites are going, there she comes. There she comes. And then the bee jumps on the flower and the mite jumps on the bee. And, and the bee doesn't. I don't even know that they know it. They bring the mite back to the hive. And the mite starts attacking the bees and starts giving disease to the bees. And then the mites see that little open cell of brood, that little baby bee that's growing, and they really get in there. And they start reproducing in there. And if you don't pay attention, it won't be long. Those hundreds or thousands of mites will absolutely destroy the entire colony and you open up your bees and they're all dead. Tens of thousands of them are dead. There's all these things that these poor little bees are, are fighting against. These, these mites. That doesn't sound bad. Uh, bad but if you were to ask a, a bee person what's, really a, what's a mite called. Well a bee mite's called a, it's a varola mite. But, but notice the terminology. They call it the varola destructor. Destructor. Sounds like a comic book mean villain guy, but it's not. It's this little tiny mite, but this little tiny mite will kill them. It'll kill them. They'll reproduce in the hive. Destructor. Sound like anybody in particular you know? Be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling about like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. God reminds me, Mike. That little small sin you think is so small is like that mite. I've come to the place in my life, I don't believe there's such a thing as a small decision. And I know for a fact there is nothing, no such thing as a small sin. That little small sin, it will destroy you. That's for another day. But mites are like those little, quote, small sins. And, and they'll... Tear it apart. They'll just absolutely tear it apart. It's one of the reasons why pastors always saying, let's see what God says about this. Because one of the things that a pastor is always trying to do is to, to make sure we understand what God says about it, about what, about everything. But, but a pastor's always, you know, Pastor Scott's always trying to make sure we know what the truth is. Because all pastors are always faced with heresies and lies and half-truths that reside in people's lives. And, and it's a big deal to know, well, here's what our Lord teaches. There are more heresies today than ever in the history of the world. That's why this, this living book is, is non-negotiable. And knowing this book is non-negotiable. Two things that will always mess you up. Believing the lie or neglecting the truth. Either one of them will mess you up. And it's why a pastor's always going, all right, let's see what God says. See what God says about it. 
One more thing in the bee yard. Because I know you got to go get ice cream. Because I brought it up. Number six, you see the swarm. The swarm. Two, things, two things that honeybees are famous for. One, of course, is honey. And the second thing is the swarm. It's the swarm. It's pretty fascinating to watch 50,000 bees come out of the hive and just walk off and fly off. And you're, you're standing there and you're going, wait, come back, come back, don't leave. I love you. I love you. Don't leave. Bye. And they, they, fly, they, fly, they fly off. And you hate it. But, but when they're swarming, they're, they're, they're reproducing. They're going and they're going to develop another hive. But you don't like it. But, but one of the main reasons why, one of the main reasons why bees will swarm and leave the hive. There's different reasons. But one of the main reasons is this. They need more room. They just, they just need more room. It's a space issue. In the church, space matters. We got the large space, then we got small spaces. Small spaces represent small groups, Bible study groups, discipleship groups, fellowship groups of different kinds that get together, and primarily it's, those groups are about this, or they should be about this. But, but small groups are a vitally biblical part, and, and small groups need space. And our church, like... Many other churches, there's never enough space in the building to accommodate all the small groups that exist in the, because you could have 50, you could have 100, you could have 200, you could have 300 small groups. There's no place in this building, but small groups are pretty intuitive. You know, they'll start meeting in homes and in coffee shops and in restaurants and classrooms. They'll meet in barns and outdoor spaces and businesses and offices and in break rooms and they'll meet all over the place. I met a pastor several years ago in western North Carolina and uh, his church was a little bit larger than our church. Uh, He had 750,000 people in his church. There was never a time that he could get all of his people together at one time. They met in hundreds of thousands of small groups all over the place. Because one of the things that happens in a healthy church is, is you have all of these small groups that meet in all of these places. Now, as Tim's setting these boxes aside, those boxes don't represent, well, this group, we're just going to kick them out. and tell. That's not what that is. What this is, is all over our church, all over our community, there are small groups of individuals that get together to hone and sharpen and grow one another and develop one another and disciple one another and the church continues to grow healthier and the church continues to grow stronger and God, God keeps teaching me all these lessons when I go out in the bee yard Tim Sanders, one of our elders here who's doing all of this, great job Tim by the way he, he and I, we're, just, we're always talking about bees, he's got bees, I've got bees matter of fact, I've got his extractor the way I got honey the other day was used his extractor to get it out of my, out of my frames, um, he and I, we're just always talking about bees, some of you have bees, but our hope is tonight through the story of scripture God has spoken some truths to us about who we are and how we are And how God continues to move us forward and grow us. Father, in this place tonight, we thank you for the truth of what you have sought to teach us through your creation. God, I thank you for that little bitty tiny honeybee. And all that she teaches me about you. 
and all that you teach me because of her about you. Lord, bless us as we go forward and as we move forward and as we grow. And God, I specifically pray that you would help us as lambs to grow circles. In Jesus' name.